Hello, I'm Clary Jackson, and this video is about an important new decision that just came out of the Alberta Court of Appeals last week that can not only reduce wrongful convictions, but it can also free some of the wrongfully convicted and jailed. This video will illustrate just how difficult it is not only for juries to know what to do, but also judges when it comes to reaching the correct verdict. A young man had his sexual assault conviction overturned with this decision. I discussed this case in a live stream, which is posted in the description bar below. In this video, I will explain from a non-lawyer perspective how his case was used to make crucial changes to the way judges and juries should understand weighing evidence, believing or disbelieving testimony, and assessing proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But first, a quick 30-second pause for the cause. Hey there, do you find this content valuable, informative, and thought-provoking? If you do, there are links in the description bar for multiple ways to support my work. Donations help to sustain the production of content that informs and inspires viewers like you. Support what you value by contributing one-time or monthly recurring. Buy merchandise to take a stand and start a new conversation. And last but not least, subscribe to this channel. Like, comment, and share to help this channel grow. There is a test used by the Canadian courts known as the WD test that is the most popular ground for appeals. This test has existed since 1991 and is often misapplied and misunderstood, resulting in wrongful convictions and even possibly wrongful acquittals in all sorts of criminal cases. You might find some of it confusing or too legal ease, but let that be a testament to how easy it is to find an innocent person guilty under the guise of legalese. My own opinion arising from my own research is that the majority of appeals based on the misuse of the WD test are wrongful convictions in she said, he said, sex crime accusations. I also made a video based on my opinion of the WD test, not as comprehensive as this critique. So. What is the WD test I speak of? It is an instruction that a judge may use to guide themselves or a jury in weighing the evidence and or testimony, applying the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and determining credibility when deciding to convict or acquit. There are three prongs to this test and they are as follows. First, if you believe the evidence of the accused, obviously you must acquit. Second, if you do not believe the testimony of the accused, but you are left in reasonable doubt by it, you must acquit. Third, even if you are not left in doubt by the evidence of the accused, you must ask yourself whether, on the basis of the evidence which you do accept, you are convinced beyond a reasonable doubt by that evidence of the guilt of the accused. So the Appeal Court of Alberta listed a series of concerns with respect to these instructions and said the instructions should be modified to clear up these concerns. The concerns I'm about to list are directed at juries, but they apply equally to judge alone trials as well. So first, jurors may be confused about the evidence to which the instruction applies. Two, where there are multiple or included offenses, jurors may not understand that a reasonable doubt on one charge may not entitle the accused to an acquittal on the other charges or included offenses. Jurors may be confused about how evidence that they have disbelieved may nonetheless give rise to reasonable doubt. For Jurors may not understand that a trial is not a credibility contest and that they do not need to resolve conflicting evidence. Five. 
jurors may be given the impression that the evidence of the accused should be evaluated first in isolation from other evidence. So with those in mind, let's start with the first prong of the test and relate these concerns. First, if you believe the evidence of the accused, obviously you must acquit. The appeal judgment says that this prong is not entirely accurate for a few very crucial reasons. The first one being, the instruction applies to all exculpatory evidence, which is evidence that points to innocence, whether it is found in the defense or the prosecutor's case, not just the defense's case or the testimony of the accused. So the prosecution's case can also produce exculpatory evidence, whether on purpose or by accident during the course of cross-examination, for example. So two, it only applies to exculpatory evidence. So not inculpatory or neutral evidence. Inculpatory evidence points to guilt, while neutral means it points in neither direction. So the instruction goes to evidence or testimony in the accused's favor, relevant only to the allegation. This correlates with the fact that he is presumed innocent still during the trial. And if there is evidence presented that strengthens his innocence, even if it comes from the prosecution's case or the accuser's testimony, that is what must be weighed when using this test. And third, the appeal court's opinion is that this first step of the test implies that the accused person's evidence should be weighed first, and that is wrong. The appeal court adopts a clarification from a 2008 appeal decision that says a judge or jury must consider whether the evidence as a whole establishes the accused's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So what that means essentially is that all of the evidence provided by the prosecution and the defense must be assessed in accordance with relevance to the allegations and the exculpatory evidence compared to the accusation to determine if guilt is established. There are elements to the crime that must be proven. A, if the crime occurred, B, if he committed the crime, C, being that he intent, uh, intended to commit a crime can be proven. The time and the place are elements that must be proven. And if there's evidence that comes out that can uh, disprove that time or date issue, time or place issue, then that's exculpatory evidence that goes in his favor. Overall though, this assessment can't be done properly if the judge or jury starts simply by looking at the accused's narrative and deciding whether or not it proves his guilt or his innocence. It just won't work in cases where the accused does not even testify in his own defense. They must pay attention to the accuser's statements and listen for statements that might impeach or contradict themselves lies, deceptions, or things that are just downright implausible. Those things all count as exculpatory evidence benefiting the accused's presumption of innocence. So now moving on to the problems with the second prong of the WD test. Second, if you do not believe the testimony of the accused, but you are left in reasonable doubt by it, you must acquit. So the appeal court admits that this statement is confusing and that juries are lay people who may find it difficult to grasp the concept that they can disbelieve evidence that points in the direction of innocence, but they can also act on the possibility that it might be true. Evidently, some judges have this problem as well. The appeal judge eloquently sums up the issue by suggesting a modification of this prong like this. Quote, if you believe the accused's evidence denying guilt or any other exculpatory evidence to that effect, 
or if you are not confident that you can accept the Crown's version of events, then you must acquit. He also goes on to say that if jurors or judges find themselves in the middle ground of being unsure whether evidence pointing to innocence is true or false, then that means they have a reasonable doubt, which must benefit the accused. Again, this correlates with the presumption of innocence because every case starts with the presumption of innocence. So if you find yourself in that middle ground where you just can't decide, then he, the, the innocence stands. So the appeal court then suggests additional instructions to clarify for judges and juries how to weigh the evidence and reach a verdict with this revised formula. A. The burden of proof is on the Crown to establish the accused's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and that burden remains on the Crown so that the accused person is never required to prove his innocence or disprove any of the evidence led by the Crown. 2. In that context, if the jury believes the accused's evidence denying guilt, or any other exculpatory evidence to that effect, or if they are not confident that they can accept the Crown's version of events, they must acquit. While the jury should attempt to resolve conflicting evidence bearing on the guilt or innocence of the accused, a trial is not a credibility contest requiring them to decide that one of the conflicting versions is true. If after careful consideration of all the evidence, the jury is unable to decide whom to believe, they must acquit. And lastly, even if the jury completely rejects the accused's evidence or where applicable other exculpatory evidence, they may not simply assume that the Crown's version of events must be true. Rather, they must carefully assess the evidence that they do believe and decide whether that evidence persuades them beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused is guilty. Mere rejection of the accused's evidence or where applicable other exculpatory evidence cannot be taken as proof of the accused's guilt. So there you have it. It is 2019 and we are still trying to figure out what beyond a reasonable doubt means, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and how to properly weigh evidence. I do have hope that this decision will prevent and overturn wrongful convictions because many of them are based on that WD analysis and Many of them were, many of these analyses were prop, improperly applied, but they've never been overturned. So this case can help that. However, I also know that feminist prosecutors and legislators will continue to find ways to pervert the course of correct justice by reducing the amount of evidence allowed into a trial to make it more difficult to properly assess guilt versus innocence. Bill C-51, and another case that's being reviewed by the Supreme Court of Canada right now that will determine whether or not relationship history between an, an accused and accuser is admissible. So things like that can still make it difficult to give the judge or a jury the true accurate picture of the case. But nonetheless, this appeal decision is a step in the right direction.